we live in a world, at least for us, where there, there is a lot of gospel saturation. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you read. And always substantiate what they say and what you read against what Scripture reads. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. We spent more time in chapter 2 than I originally planned. Uh, so thank you for your patience as you've had to upgrade your, your study guide. I think we were only supposed to spend two sermons in chapter 2, and this is sermon number 4, but we will finish this morning. And the reason why is it's just it's so important uh, to understand the destructive nature of false teachers. Uh, we, we have to be able to see that. It's amazing that when you, we come to read Second Peter, you know, we're maybe uh, 40, 50, 60 years uh, after the crucifixion, and there's already false teaching. As we go through the Bible and we study God's Word, I always am reminded that what we see and what we experience and what we have to deal with today is not new. As, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, there is nothing new under the sun. The false teachings we see today is nothing new. It has a long history. Yet we need to be able to know and spot and identify false teachers and false teachings as believers. And as I was thinking about that, a, a humorous analogy kind of popped into my mind dealing with my grandma, my grandma Sanders, Granny Sanders as, as we called her. Uh, her entire life, as she was married to my grandfather, she made homemade biscuits every single day with, without fail. I think kind of towards uh, the end of my grandfather's life, she could make canned biscuits on Sundays. I, I think that was, that was kind of the, or maybe it was Saturdays. I, I can't forget one of those. He kind of relented and, and she'd make some canned biscuits, you know. But every, every day, dinner, every dinner, there was homemade biscuits. She had this little wooden flour bowl that she kept. She was short, so it was on the bottom shelf of the cabinet. And she would just take it out, throw in some Crisco and throw in some buttermilk and, and make biscuits. And as I was thinking about that, you know, I can recognize her biscuits. And here's why. One, I've eaten, I ate a lot of them. But, but two, the whole family has tried to replicate her recipe. And we can't do it. There is not a person in the family. And believe, when I say we tried, believe me, we have tried to duplicate her recipe. We can't do it nobody, my, my biscuits don't look anything like hers. I still like hers better. Mine are pretty good. And I bring that up because if you were today, and it's been, she passed away a couple years ago, so it's been many years since I've had one of her biscuits, but if you were a little lineup, 25 biscuits today, I could tell you which one was hers. Probably by sight, but definitely by taste. I, I mean, I just, I, I know which is the real biscuit, and I can recognize all the false biscuits and the imitators. And the reason I mentioned that this morning is because that's kind of our call as believers. 
we have got to be able to recognize false teachers. The, the burden is on us. As we've gone through chapter 2 of, of Peter, have you noticed the burden is on us to recognize what is not true? We have to be able to spot it. So that's why Peter has spent so much time discussing false teachers and their false teaching. And this morning, he's going to continue to do that. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at, at two things that we need to be able to identify. One, we're going to need to be able to identify false teachings. And then your updated study guide, we're going to need to be able to identify, identify false professions. And I know that second when alarm bells just went off, but we're going to dive into that in just a minute. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, down to verse 22. It says, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person so that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So this morning, looking at those verses, the first thing I want you to notice is this. Believers, we must be able to identify deceitful teachings. Okay? The, last week when we looked at the, uh, the middle part of this chapter, we looked at the teachers and the characteristics of them. Today, Peter says, look at the characteristics of what they are teaching. And as they are teaching, Peter says, what you're going to notice is the effect that they have on the person, and the effect that they have on the person is not positive. False teaching has negative effects on the person who hears it, believes it, and follows it. And the first thing Peter says is they offer no hope. False teaching does not offer hope. None whatsoever. And to illustrate this point, Peter uses an illustration that, for the most part, is, is lost on us, or I would say maybe even lost on the industrialized world. But his readers, who live in an arid desert client, would immediately understand this analogy. And Peter says, all right, they, they are like waterless springs, Mist driven by a storm. And the reason we don't understand that is because anytime we're thirsty, we walk into our house and we turn on our faucet. If you are thirsty right now, you can walk over to the water fountain and get water. We have instant access to water. I have three faucets in my house and uh, three outdoor spigots. My grandfather did not want to be anywhere on the outside of the house where he didn't have access to water and a garden hose. But I can go at any point in time and turn those on. Nope, got four spigots. Sorry, I forgot. There, there's there's one in the basement that I don't faucet that I don't use that often. I got four, seven places. Right. However, if you lived in an arid desert climate like Peter's audience did, and even today, you didn't have that access to water. 
you had to have a well. You had to go out and draw water. And Peter says, look, these people, these false teachers, they are, they are waterless springs. Imagine if you were, that day, you were traveling. And you were tired. And you were thirsty. And, and you know what a creek bed looks like from a distance. We've all seen it. You know, hey, that, there's, there's a creek over there. So you're, you're walking. You think, hey, there's a spring over there because you see the banks. And you get down to the, the bank and you look down and there's no water. It's dry and cracked and parched. All of a sudden, you're in trouble. Because in a desert climate, water equals life. And you're thirsty and tired. There's, there's no water. Even worse than that is if you went to your well to draw water and you drew up sand. You think going to the well or going to the stream that there's going to be water there, that it's going to refresh you. It's going to give you hope. It's, it's going to make you feel better. And then all of that hope is immediately taken away because there's no water. False teaching does the same thing. False teaching looks pretty and says, hey, here's hope. Come and get it. And you come and you try to grab it and it's, it's just gone. Like a mist driven by a storm. You can't grab it. There's nothing there. The prophet Jeremiah wrote about this in Jeremiah 2.13. He said, My people have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, and this is why I call it cisterns of well, a broken cistern that cannot hold water. He says, they have turned from me, they have turned from the one who has come to give them water so that living water, to refresh them and give them hope and nourish them so that they can grow. And instead they said, no, I don't want that. I'm going over here, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to listen to the false teaching. I'm going to follow the false gods. I'm going to follow these pagan nations. And instead they go and they build these cisterns, but at the bottom they're cracked. They cannot hold water. They do not offer any hope. So one of the things as believers we have to do is whatever teaching we hear, we have to go back and say, all right, is, is what the, the teacher, what the person is saying, is, is, are they holding out hope? Or are they just merely words that evaporate into the air with no hope or anything connected to them whatsoever? Because a true teacher of the gospel is going to point you back to Christ and the hope that you have in Christ. The hope that you need in the relationship with Him. Otherwise, I have the pastor, the preacher, whoever has nothing to offer you. So we look at the teaching and ask ourselves, does it offer hope? Secondly, we notice that false teaching enslaves. False teaching enslaves. I remember as a kid, and I don't know, I know it's not an old practice, so I don't remember what the news stories were at the time. But the old bait-and-switch, y'all remember the bait-and-switch? And there were several companies, uh, even today, but I, I, for some reason I have it associated with the early 90s, that something must have been going on in the advertising community uh, where this was a big deal. The, the, the old bait-and-switch, right? They'd put this, this big picture in the newspaper and said, this can be yours, and, and the price was incredible. And what happened when you went down to the store? It wasn't there. But... They either had a new 
better product that was more, or they had a product that was similar but cheaper, but they charged you the same price. They kind of got you in with a promise of something and said, no, 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 here, I'm going to switch it out for, for something else. Pull a fast one on you. That's what's happening with these false teachers. They're, they're baiting them in and then switching the product. They're baiting them in and then saying, no, that's not going to work. And look at what they bait them in with. Verse 19. They bait them in with the promise of freedom. Now, stupid question to ask would be, how many people want freedom? You know, everybody's going to raise your hand. I don't want freedom. It's, it sounds encouraging. We all want freedom. We came to Christ because we wanted freedom from our sins. We didn't want to be enslaved to our sins anymore. And so these false teachers are standing there going, look, 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 I got freedom. C come and get it. And they're, uh, you know, they're, they're very cunning and, and, and just mean, really, because in verse 18, it says that they are offering this freedom to those who, who have barely escaped from living in error. So talking about new believers who have just come out of error, and they're going, here, here, you can have some more freedom. Come and get it. But then they don't give it to them. Because what the freedom they're really offering them is this. Hey, you just came out of all this sin. And here it talks about sexual immorality and, and, and living in error. It says, hey, look, you just came out of all the sin. The freedom I offer you is to continue to live in your sin, but now you don't have to worry about judgment. Go do whatever you want. Christ isn't coming back. You're not going to be judged. And so what they're offering them really is religion without repentance. Right? I can do whatever I want and have a little bit of Jesus over here on the side, because this little bit of Jesus over here on the side is, is just kind of fun to have, because he's not really impacting or affecting anything that I'm doing. This little Jesus on the side doesn't change my behavior. And they're offering them freedom from judgment in the future, and then saying you can live in that freedom now. Now, we've talked about this. We've talked about several aspects of the gospel that has a promise in the future that we can use and live in now. And one of the promises that we have is in the future, we will live in complete and total absence and freedom from sin. We also have the promise that we can live from the freedom of sin today, but not because we decide that it's not sin anymore that I can go on sinning because Christ isn't coming back. Do you see what they've done? They've promised them one thing and switched it on them so that when they do this, it says, they themselves, in verse 19, are slaves of corruption. And for whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. So basically, these new believers got out of bondage these false teachers says, hey, you can have freedom and continue to sin and basically just put them right back in bondage. This is how absurd it is. Imagine 
this morning, if you had a shackle on, on your left hand that's attached to a wall, you, you can't go anywhere. And the jailer comes up to you and says, do you want to be free? And you raise your right hand because you can't raise your left. And you go, yeah, 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 I want to be free. So the jailer takes off the shackle on your left hand and then shackles your right. Are you free? No. You're still just as enslaved to that and stuck where you are as you were before. And this is what is happening. And the people and the false teachers, quite frankly, look like idiots because they're still enslaved going, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. No, you're not. You're still enslaved to your sin, to your wickedness, and you're going to be slave to corruption that's going to bring judgment. You've not escaped anything. So the question is, false teaching, when you hear a teacher, ask yourself, does it enslave me to something? You're like, well, Gary, what could it enslave me to today? set of rules that you have to follow? Enslave you to the teacher himself? you got to listen to me above everything. All right, I, don't, I, I hope I haven't ever said that. I'm not really jealous of you if you go listen to other pastors, as long as you're here on Sunday mornings. I'm a little jealous about that. All right? Enslave you to, to giving? Well, you got to give more. Enslave you to a sin that you escape from? Enslave you, you got to go do this project, you got to go do this? I mean, there's all kinds of ways that a false teacher will enslave somebody. And we have to ask, is the message one of freedom in Christ, or is the message of one of enslavement to fill in the blank? And if it's enslavement to anything else, that's a false teacher and a false teaching. But then we find out that false teaching destroys. False teaching destroys. Again, Peter is pointing out that, that they're enslaved to this idea of freedom, doing anything that they want to, but they're just now chained to their sin, basically awaiting destruction. They're chained to the wall, waiting judgment. It's like you're the prisoner back in the jail cell, hand shackled, just sitting there waiting for the executioner to come. And the executioner is going to be Jesus when he comes back in judgment. Because he is going to come back, and he is going to judge us. And the question is, are we going to be judged on our lives, which are covered in sin, or are we going to be judged that we are found in him? Because if we're not in him, and we're still in, enslaved to our sin, then the judgment is, depart from me, for I never knew you. False teaching does that. And Peter's been driving this home, right? I mean, this isn't the first time he says this. Look at what he talks about. The utter darkness has been reserved for them. He talks about slaves of corruption, the defilements of the world that overcome the worst state. is, is last state is worse than the first. And even earlier, remember where, where Peter's the one that gives us that Satan is our adversary looking to devour us. Satan is out there today placing snares for us to become entangled in. And do you know what the most alluring bait inside that snare is? Whatever sin we escape from, or whatever sin it was that finally made us realize that we needed Christ. And Satan goes, ooh, 
<laughs> I know what to put in that snare. Right? I've used this analogy many, many, many times before, and I'll just kind of update it for this illustration. You put my grandma's biscuit inside a snare, I might reach in there and try to grab it. You put drugs in there, I'm going to let it go. That, that doesn't, and again, I'm not, if, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anybody who has that struggle. But we all have different sins that, that tempt us. And the way Satan sets the snares, he's not going to set it with a bait that we don't want. Right? You fishermen know that. You use a certain bait when you go fishing. Hunters know that. You, you know. Satan is out there laying snares saying, hey, I want to get you caught back up in this, caught back up whatever sin you escaped from so that I can just tighten that snare on you. And then thinking that you're free, I just keep pulling it tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until the fight's gone from you. And you don't fight anymore. And you just stay there in your sin, in the snare, until either our time on earth is over or Christ comes back. And you have to face that judgment. And it's going to be a judgment that destroys. So as a believer, we've got to look at the teaching and go, is it leading to life or is it leading to destruction? Because if it's leading to destruction, it's a false teaching. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, Peter continues, and he says, now I need you to look as a believer and be able to identify false professions. Now, I know that's an update on the study guide, and I know just saying that makes people go, well, Gary, you can't judge somebody's faith. You can't judge or tell if somebody is a believer. I'll give you a little bit of that. I won't give you much, though, and here's why. I can look at your life. As a believer, we can look at one another's lives and go, all right, does their life match what they say? Because if their life doesn't match what they say, um, some questions need to be asked. Because if there's not an alignment there of words and action, one of the two is not correct. And you know and I know which one we're tempted to we're going to believe, right? Are we going to believe the words? We're going to believe the actions. We're going to believe what you do. And that's what Peter says. So he says that false teachers willfully ignore the truth. Look at what he says in verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse than the first. And you read those, and you read how Peter describes them, and it's, it's, it's kind of a scary statement. Because when you go through that and you read everything that Peter says and go, all right, was that person a believer? You're probably going to answer yes. I mean, he talks about the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. The word 
Hour is a key word, by the way, in, in that sentence that we'll come back to. So what is Peter saying? Well, it's difficult because what we're going to immediately read and jump to and the question we're asking is, is Peter talking about a person losing their salvation? And we're not going to go down that rabbit hole this morning because I don't think that's what Peter is dealing with. He's not really dealing with the issue of did a person lose their salvation as much as did the person ever come to salvation to begin with. That's why the word our is so important. Peter says the false teacher knows our Savior. Do you see the distinction he's making? He's already calling them unbelievers because an unbeliever doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Peter's saying, I'm an apostle, and, and I know Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and these people profess or proclaim to know our Savior. Do you see the difference? And Peter says, they, they, they really don't. False teachers don't really know Christ, even though from the outside, Everything looks correct. The suit, the Bible, the hair, the words. Everything looks right. But Peter says they don't. And Peter goes on to say that the standard to know the way of righteousness is actually what they reject. Because to know the way of righteousness is to come to know the Lord, as Jesus as Lord and Savior. And part of that is confessing Him as Lord, and then part of that is also understanding that He's going to come again. Something which they are continually to deny. And so they turn their back, basically, and walk away from God. Now this is also an emotional thing for us, because we all know people like this. And we kind of got to cut through the emotion as, as hard as that is and think how, you know, because we, we'll, we'll personalize this. How did, in some name, just popped into your mind, did so-and-so walk away from the faith? And it's, it's a hard question. Because they, they knew. They worshiped with us. They, they did mission trips with us. They did projects. They, they were here. They gave, Everything looked, and then all of a sudden they weren't here one day. And we go, what happened? Well, what happened was, sadly, is they liked the way of darkness better than the way of righteousness. And Peter says, in that case, it would have been better for them never to have heard the gospel to begin with. You think, why is it better? They would have never heard the gospel to begin with. Because what happens is, and I don't know very many examples, and maybe you do, that person that we just who was all in for Jesus, and then one day wasn't, typically never gets to be all in for Jesus again. Why would they turn back to something, to a message that they heard and found lacking? Most people... Do not. And Peter says these false teachers, he says in verse 17, that for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. 
Why? Because they willfully and continually ignore the truth. Jesus talks about this in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 29. If I can stop flipping past it. Mark chapter 3, verse 29. Jesus is speaking. Let's go to 28. It says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men and, who, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilt of an eternal sin. You know, we've, we've taught that verse is commonly referred to as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you go, well, what is it? Well, you see here in conjunction with Peter is that continual refusal to accept what is true. They may hear it over and over and over and over and over and over again, but they, they, they re- reject and refuse to make it their own, even though from all outward appearances it looks that way. They haven't had an internal transformation. And it does become an eternal sin because once they die, there's no escaping. There is no biblical support for after somebody dies on this earth, not as a believer in Jesus Christ, that they get a second chance after death. That is not found anywhere in Scripture. So you can understand why Jesus speaks so strongly against it. You can understand why Peter's warnings are so desperate because if they don't change, that's what's going to happen. Because they're setting themselves up for divine judgment. They're not escaping. That's what Peter is right. Peter keeps driving at home. They're not escaping the judgment they proclaim to offer you to escape. And so if a teacher continually ignores the truth, then the profession of belonging to Christ is probably lacking. And we need to recognize that. But then Peter says, lastly, in a very graphic metaphor, False teachers return to their depravity. Why do they go back? Because they love it more. They like the filth more. And Peter uses those two proverbs about a dog returning to its own vomit and the sow after getting clean goes and wallows in in the mire. Now again, for Peter's audience, this has an added dimension as the dogs and the pigs were unclean animals. So here's an unclean animal going to be more unclean. It's like, how unclean can an unclean animal be? And that's what Peter's pointing out. They, they, they like what is unclean back more. I mean, they'll go back to something that is gross and disgusting and go, I like that better. And Peter is saying, these, these false teachers are acting like dogs and pigs. Because you can wash a pig, but it's going to go and get muddy again. Because that's only what that's what a pig knows to do. It's to eat and be dirty. And Peter's saying these false teachers are are like pigs. They just end up back in the mud, wallowing in the mire and the filth and the junk and their sin and the unrighteousness that they love so much because they like it better than the way of righteousness. So people who confess Jesus Christ and, and then, and I'll use that word confess kind of loosely but then deny him are like the pigs. They they were washed, they look good on the outside, but they're still dirty on the inside. Give me the sin, the bondage. Give me the unrighteousness, the immorality. 
instead of the way of righteousness that is going to cause and create in me a desire to change my behavior, to live in a way that validates my profession in Jesus Christ. They never changed. So we look at a false teacher and go, is there any change? And if they keep going back to what they loved before, there's not been any change. So we end this morning, I, I, I want to kind of end with a warning and a challenge. The warning is this. We live in a world, at least for us, where there, there is a lot of gospel saturation. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you read. And always validate or, or, or substantiate what they say and what you read against what Scripture reads. And if it conflicts, go with Scripture. Look at the lives of the people you hold up. Does their lives copy what they preach? And for the record, I am not above that. Does Gary's life match what he preaches? Does Gary preach anything contrary to the Bible? Does his study gods or his devotions do any of that? Or is that contrary? You can examine my teaching all you want. If you have a question, let me know. I'll tell you why you're wrong. But seriously, I, I say that. But, but examine the lives of the people that you listen to who profess to be pastors and teachers. But secondly, I want to end with this challenge. You can always kind of tell where God is working on a pastor to what he keeps coming back to. And, and the one this morning is perseverance. One of the things that I've just kind of noticed as we studied through Peter and as we studied through Revelation is the importance of perseverance. Now, we all kind of gave lip service to that before, right? right? I, mean, I mean, we want to go, we want to make it all the way to the end. But the warning or, or the challenge for us is to live it all the way to the end. And the reason why that's a challenge is because that's going to be an indicator that we really belong to Christ. If you want to know if, if a, a, a pastor or teacher belongs to Christ, look at how they lived their entire life. And sadly today, look at the news that comes out after their death. Because sometimes that's going to be an indicator as well. But the challenge is to continue to persevere, to continue to go forward. Because that perseverance is a mark of genuine, genuineness. How we start is important. How we run the race is important, but how we finish is critically important because how we finish is going to determine if how we started was correct. It's going to be the difference between saying, depart from me because I never knew you, and well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the one that we want to hear. Or to put it another way, as Paul put it, so that when we get to the end of our lives, we can say, 
I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.